0: Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. Business Podcast, the most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello, and welcome to the Football Co-Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Manby, and on this show I'm talking to Marlon Fleischman, co-owner and managing director of Unique Sports Group, a leading independent football management services agency. On Unique's books are a mix of established internationals like Reese James, Irving Lozano, and Dio Uvmakano, as well as many young players looking to break into the big time. We're going to be discussing two big topical events which are keeping Unique on their toes, the recent World Cup and the current January transfer window, as well as tackling the role of agents and the debate around players' social media accounts. Marlon, welcome to the show.
1: Alex, thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for, uh, for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to
0: having a good chat. Pleasure to have you on. So Marlon, tell us a bit about Unique, some of your clients and the services you offer them
1: no problem so a unique sports group we're in our I'd say 15th year uh, we're probably the largest independent UK owned agency and and we've made a real good name for ourselves in working with elite young talent and, and going on a journey of that talent and growing them into into the superstars that, that you guys see on on screen every Saturday.
0: What is it about young talent? Because you, you said the word young and I've looked a bit at, at, your ros- at your roster and it is true that a lot of players are you know, under 25, maybe even under 21. Was that something you deliberately had from the start or did it just sort of fall into place that uh, that was the sort of talent that you'd attract? I think it goes back to the type of agency you,
1: you want to operate. I think with us, we've always p- growing relationships and, and growing players at, at the heart of it. And for that, you build trust um, and you build relationships over over time. I think what we're we're good at is is career planning, understanding how to grow a career. And and I said the majority of players will sign with us at a young age and and will stay with us, hopefully, for the seven, eight years ahead of them uh, whilst they transition from maybe an elite academy player into a first team regular and then international player from there on. So I think we like to be there at the beginning of the journey, and then work with the player all the way
0: through. You talk about international football, we're still in that sort of post-World Cup phase. Um, for listeners, we're a couple of weeks out from the end of the World Cup, and I think it's still um, sort of part of the conversation. What does the World Cup entail for you as a business? And I mean that both in terms of the players you represent who are there, and also um, sort of the world of football agents.
1: It's quite a complex answer. So I think let's go back to, to sort of pre pre World Cup. And I think from our position and certainly from the client's position, the World Cup was on the horizon for a long time. And I think probably the, the summer transfer window before the World Cup started was certainly one where there are a few conversations about look, if you've got the World Cup coming up, your selection for your country could be dependent on the amount of minutes you have on the pitch. If you're one of those players that's maybe on the cusp of the squad, uh, maybe not guaranteed to start the games, but you're in with the shout of your national team, I think there are a fair few clients that would like. Look, I would rather go out on loan or rather go and make a transfer to enhance my my World Cup chances because club football is is where the players' contracts lie. But to, to play for your to play for your country to play at a World Cup is is that, that's the dreams you have as, as a young boy when you start the sport. So if you're in with a shout of doing that to represent your country at a World Cup, those decisions came into effect during the transfer window before. So
0: we were, we were looking at stuff like that. So it did have an impact. In terms of your players who went to the World Cup, I want to talk about uh, Diot Opimucano, who obviously got to the final, started in the final. Were you talking to him during the tournament or did you just let him get on and do his stuff?
1: Okay, so Deo for actually is not is uh, not one of my clients, so it'd be wrong of me to sort of jump in on that. I'm happy to talk about it from a, a company perspective, but I couldn't really give a, a personal one. of right. So I think when we have, I think we had twelve twelve players or thirteen players go to the World Cup, uh, which is an amazing number for us as still a young business to you have that many clients at World Cup finals. I think as an agent, you try not to not to overpressure the players in that situation. You have to let them. Get almost get on with their games. they're in their their, their camp bubble, they're in there with their squad members and they're, they're, they're completely focused on the job at hand. I think as the agent, you will send supportive messages, you're there post game if they want to debrief with you. Generally, it's just being a supportive influence and, and you allow them the time and the space to really focus on on what's
0: important and the games at hand. How life-changing is winning or losing it? I mean how much will open career have been impacted by coming you know runner up rather than winner. And and the comparison that I'd make, you know, talking about once every four year competitions is the Olympic Games. And the Olympics, wow. you know, a lot of Olympians are really not in the limelight for a four-year cycle. And then all of a sudden the eyes of their country, perhaps the eyes of the world, are on them. And I know that there the difference between gold and silver is enormous. You know, it's about, you know, whether that's Deals that you'll sign with sponsors afterwards, or funding, or public recognition, or speaking opportunities, or whatever it might be—is that true in the World Cup, or is there so much elite football anyway that it's less important? No, I think I think the World Cup does give a massive platform.
1: Every World Cup delivers superstars that are already well known before the tournament. Your Messies are, are the kings of that of that category, as it were. But then you do get players that become stars of a world cup that maybe the average fan wouldn't wouldn't necessarily know about and i think this world cup if you look at amrabat from from morocco or 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 from from croatia you know those weren't names that automatically came off the end of fans tongues before the world cup afterwards those are two amazing standout players that had unbelievable tournaments if you're looking at it from from a representation point with those profiles they're going to have additional clubs, more clubs, more profiles looking at them from a commercial perspective. They performed on the highest stage, so I think earning potential wise for those clients coming off of the back of a World Cup can be positively affected, both from the contractual position on the football side and commercially off the pitch as well. And that's the power of a World Cup. You know, you, you you play and you train, you dedicate to perform at the highest
0: level. You deliver those performances, and, and and the riches are there for you. Given how important the World Cup is, do you encourage players to do anything differently? Do you think some players do do things differently? And I might mean that in terms of style of play, or I might mean it even in terms of just trying to be—I you know, don't know—have a new haircut. You'll see, you know, dye your hair blonde. You'll get you get spotted a bit more.
1: No, I think I think. um I think like, you, you do see little trends, don't you, in, in certain squads if they all have the same haircut? Was it Romania back in the day had, had all the... Uh, Romania hair?
0: 98, they did yeah. it on the eve of the yeah. tournament and the I mean, commentators all uh, had a meltdown.
1: There we go. So I, I think, look, I don't generally really think anyone believes, okay, if I cut my hair differently, I'm going to play better or I'm going to get noticed more. I think that's more camaraderie to build the spirit in the squad. And, and prior to that, I think the players are just focused on their football. You know, that they know they want to go into those tournaments and are happy, confident, able to express themselves. I think those are the, 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 the real the real strong points. I think anything gimmicky, I, I don't think a player at the top level would ever do that.
0: No, and you have some lovely moments. You know, football fans are so obsessed with the personalities of players now and we want to see, you know, the person behind the player and we love to understand about their lives. And so often it can be that clip that goes as viral as... You know the incredible bicycle kick, yeah. but then I think we can also sniff out inauthenticity, can't we? So I'm thinking about the Moroccan players dancing with their mothers, beautiful moment. There's no way they were doing that, you know, for a bit of PR value. No. Um, I suppose I, if you if you could stage that, it would be golden, but it, it would be very hard to do it without people. Knowing I mean, it. There's things, like you said.
1: It, it's in football, we so passionate based. You know, it, it's those big moments, goals, wins. You can't, you can't replicate that that emotion, that feeling inside you. You'll know as a fan if that's real, if that's staged if it's not. I think, you know, historically there has been, you know, staged moments. If you look at the Paddy Power um, stunt from a previous tournament, you know, things that don't go down well in football because what you want to see is the real, the, the raw emotion of a, of a moment, of a, of a genuine World Cup moment and the Moroccan players. Um, and, and even, do you know what? Even... If you think back to the World Cup, where when, um, when, when Ghana and Cameroon were, in the, were, in, were going into their changing rooms and, and the camaraderie of the squads, that's real. That's not staged. That's just them playing for their country and enjoying time with, with their group of squad mates. That's what you want to see as a fan. You don't want to see staged or, or clever marketing ploys but that are executed poorly. Um, that's what you don't want to see.
0: No, and I, I think the football fan these days is pretty aware they're pretty pretty good at sniffing out um you know bs and and inauthenticity marlon i want to move on from the world cup i want to talk about the january transfer window no doubt a, a busy time um what's that month like for you i mean there's obviously many preconceptions there's you know i'm sure there's some stereotypes the image i have is that you have sort of six phones each and they're all ringing at the same time is that about right um, definitely I don't think my missus would allow me to have six phones
1: but, but generally speaking no we, we have the um, it's it's always a busy period you have to remember that it is in, in the summer you get nearly three months to, to plan and to, to work through a transaction you know you literally have you know four weeks to get everything done and it is it, there's a lot more pressure attached to it it's a very different window as opposed to summer the motivations behind transfers or moves are different in January than they are in the summer. And I think in in this particular window, what you will find is we have an idea of, of the of our clients that maybe haven't played enough football in the first half of the season. And immediately they will be the ones that, that will be looking to go on loans or go on transfers to, to to increase their opportunities on the pitch. You then also have the clubs who haven't performed how they'd like in the first half of the season and maybe find themselves at the wrong end of the table. Uh, Those clubs will be very active for obvious reasons. And then you'll find the surprise packages. They'll be thinking, oh, hang on. If we invest now, we could actually go and secure that European place or go and secure that promotion where maybe in the
0: summer they're a bit more cautious. So who are you talking to and what's the sort of um process behind it who would you talk to first presumably it's the players on the roster um and understand sort of what they're after but after that point talk me through kind of the next steps along the road and you might not have six phones but you've got one and you're using it a lot you know are you talking to the clubs are you talking the yeah. clubs your players represent or other clubs or the media
1: no it's, it's a mixture it's a mixture of all the planning side of it is, is evident. I will know the clients I haven't played. That doesn't mean I wait until the week before New Year's Day before I start making phone calls, that the planning and the conversations go on months before, months before. If a player's not not playing happy, you will obviously be liaising between your client and his parent club to try and solve the issue of, you know, if he is not in the team, if he is surplus to requirements, what are the conditions by which, you know, my client can move on. Those conversations happen well in advance. So i have an idea if my client's available, what the, the club would expect is either a transfer fee, a loan fee, salary contribution, mm. or all of the above. And then with their permission, I go to market and, and go, by go to market, I would have a network of clubs who I'd speak to, to inform them that my client's available and try to find opportunities that I feel are really tailored to my client and, and would give him the good that good platform
0: to leave his current club and and, and go and continue his career. As you say, you know a long time in advance of the January transfer window which of your clients are looking to move on and which are happy where they are. Other clubs must know that too. A common complaint I hear is you know, in this day and age of sophisticated scouting networks and planning and the amount of money that's involved, it still quite frequently comes down to those last hours where it seems like people are sort of madly firing faxes over at each other. Isn't that mad that it still quite often comes ah. down to the... Is that just brinkmanship? Are we just in this sort of you know, you know, macho is, world where you know, people really, don't want to blink first? There is that element to it, okay? There is that element of a club may have a
1: valuation of a player and, and that valuation may not be realised until the very death. Uh, the, the alternative to that is that a, player, a club may have going into a transfer window a list of five players on their shopping list, um, in priority order, you know, target number one, target number two, and so on. And then five other clubs may want the same player. So you can only go one way. So then then you're suddenly down to target and you could end up missing out on certain targets. Uh, either the deals are too expensive, um, they're out of budget, the players have moved on to another club. So if you haven't got your ducks in a row nice and early, they do run the risk of going into the window later and later and later we're trying to find number, target
0: number six because the other five are no longer there. And that's when you get into the last minutes. How do you use the media these days, Marlon? Because there's such a voracious appetite for content. And you know we know this, we're at goal. We drive huge page views and social impressions around January transfer window. It's one of our most busiest months and people want to read and read and read. And so that also means that I'm sure you can use the media as and when you need to get a message out there or a story out there if you want to tweak public perception. Is that something that you're sort of very involved in on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, I think the, the interest from the media in players and especially around transfer time intensifies. Do we actively go out and, and use media to plant stories? No, it, 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 it's an old hand tactic, I think. It's very evident if a player's not playing. And then it's very evident that, you know, that player is going to be looking to move on, what we may try and do is keep the narrative as as truthful, as correct as we can do, but it doesn't serve anyone a purpose trying to do a a contract negotiation in in plain sight through the media. It doesn't serve us a purpose, doesn't serve the club a purpose. So you, you do try and be respectful. You try and find that balance between reporting what's correct at the right stage um, but also not breaching confidence or
0: trust. Do you think everyone plays by those rules and I'm, I'm not talking about individuals but um, whether it's player representatives trying to gain an edge using the media or whether it's clubs less than people know. I, I see articles come out about
1: clients of ours and even for me I, I don't understand how they got it but there are sources everywhere and, and you can never pin it down exactly where the where the news breaks first or who's put it there but in football, it is a very small village, and
0: generally it gets out. Speaking of small villages and everybody knowing everybody there, how important is, it, is your reputation? And reputation's a big word when it comes to football agents. I mean, a common criticism will be that agents will uh, have a conflict of interest between what when a player might want to stay and business interests whereby there's money to be made from transfers. Whether it might be profitable to want a player to move. How would you respond to that? I think this goes back to what I said at the start of our conversation.
1: Our, our business model is player management, which means we will have a six, seven, eight year journey with that player. If you've got time, you don't need to force moves. You don't have to rush transfers. I, I would never, no one ever has, I've seen force player into a move that isn't correct for that player and that doesn't suit the player. The player wants to do it. The clubs want to do it. I think if anything, if you go into any form of relationship with the wrong intentions, it's not going to be successful. The agents play a role in identifying opportunities within the marketplace and bringing those options to to clubs and to players. And the reputation comes into making sure decision process around that transfer is bespoke to that player, is correct for that player and gives that player the necessary platform to move on with his career. The, the, I think it's unjust I think it's unfair when agents are, are vilified a little bit for forcing transfers for their own benefit. It's, it's, it's fictional. It doesn't, doesn't happen. Because ultimately the player wants to move. If the player didn't want to move, he wouldn't be making that transfer unless it is for footballing reasons, financial reasons, or generally a, a change in scenery or a change in, in, in divisions because he needs to move on and find a, a new challenge. The agent plays a role in making sure that move's correct and, and it's, it's done on the
0: right terms in the correct way. Understood. Last one on the January transfer window, Marlon. Have you got a crystal ball? What do you think will be the move of the window? Oh, I wouldn't like to say I, I, where we are in the first week of January,
1: it's, it's probably busier for us than it was the, the transfer window before, but the one thing you, you learn is that you can't call it. The transfer window is the transfer window. It is so dependent results can swing decisions, injuries can swing decisions. And we just go along for the ride and make sure that at the end of it, our clients
0: that had to move, have moved and uh, everyone's happy. Marlon, I want to move away from transfers and talk about social media. How much consultancy do you give players, particularly given that you have a young roster of players when it comes to social media, the benefits and the pitfalls? This is where I feel that the industry
1: from our side has has matured. What, what we do, how we've really engineered the business is to offer what we call 360 service on pitch and off pitch and understanding that. Unless as a business, we have a world-class offering on pitch in terms of transfers and contract negotiation, career planning. If we don't marry that with a world-class off-pitch division, including social, commercial, content, then we're not giving our clients the best possible management service. I think the biggest change we've, we, we've had here, and certainly in our industry, is the understanding of of off-pitch services, the importance of them in, in growing your players profile and and giving them a voice, allowing them to own their, their narrative and to use that as a positive way of enhancing their reputation within the game. And I think for us, you know, social media has played a massive role in that. And I think if you'd have asked me five years ago, what sort of staffing profiles I was hiring, it would be football agents. I think I spend more time now interviewing and hiring social media execs, head of marketings, uh, head of contents, and and it, it's a great, it's a it's a really exciting time for the business to be doing that, and and we're very keen on bringing in not necessarily football experience, but people who have worked for time and with great knowledge and sophistication of the off pitch area, and bringing that that skill set into a football agency environment, to really grow players' profiles off the pitch. And and we've seen
0: a a, a good load of benefits from doing that. Growing that profile off the pitch is clearly massively important. It's commercially valuable. It's a way of growing fan base, recognition, talkability, and all that sort of stuff. But how do you make sure, if you're managing these players' social profiles, how do you make sure that their personality still comes through? And the reason I asked that, I had Peter Crouch on the podcast um, a while ago, and he was very vocal about this. He said, you know, why can't they just do the posts themselves and then we'd actually get to know them, um, you know, rather than someone sort of writing, uh, you know, thanks to the fans for their support. And he felt like we weren't able to get to know these players and that that was going too far uh, from, you know, protecting them from yeah like some of these pitfalls of of the social media world.
1: Alex, I, I, can, I actually completely agree with, with Peace on that one. I don't think it's, it's the correct thing to do is almost give a player a robotic social media output. Where we see it and what we work really hard to do is, is find the player's voice, understand how they communicate and, and to not do everything for them. You know, they have to be invested in their social media and, and the tone of voice and, and the sort of content they put out. If they're not invested in it and not understanding it, it can become quite robotic. I think what we what we do here is as practice, even for the players from a younger age is, is sit down with them, and make them aware of the pros and cons of social, how to get the most out of it, how to use it, how to enhance your profile, the habits to get into early, the do's and don'ts. And, and one of the big don'ts is don't fake it, show some character, be authentic. They're your fans. They're following you because they, they want to see how you are on the pitch, how you are off the pitch. And if you don't give them that, then it just becomes very dry and, and people switch off from it. And I think the, the, the feedback we get from some of our brand partners and, and, and corporates is that they want the talent to show what their personality is. It's authentic, it's, it's real, it's, it's, it's human. And I think that's what they want to see from players. And I think there's a, there's, there's a balance between, look, you have to teach a young player when to sometimes hold his tongue and when to be professional, but you don't want to stifle creativity. And I I believe in that. They're young guys, they're ambitious young guys, and you want to be encouraging them
0: to to showcase that, but within the right parameters. Marlon, I want to talk about the evolving role of the sports agent. And it would be interesting to do a comparison. I've heard you speak previously, actually, comparing the UK market to the US market without wanting to paraphrase you probably incorrectly. Uh, you seem to be complimentary about the US market, um, certain ways that things are done um, differently, the role of the agent, possibly even the perception of the agent. Is that a fair comment? Um, and, and could you give us your viewpoint on that UK-US difference?
1: I think perception-wise, first of all, I think agents in, in the US have a different perception. UK agents, I think historically, through through tabloid headlines and whatever else have been Sort of positioned as as a you, know, you go back to the the stereotype of a, of a of an agent with a cigar on his face and and just like you said before right trying to trying to make a player move just because it suits him that's you know we've moved on the industry's moved on and the reason why I looked at the American model and looked at what they're doing over there is because they've always been in advance of us almost in, in how they they run their sports and how they run their franchises and the commercial growth of the sports in those industries. And it comes down to talent management, whether it's a a footballer, whether it's an actor, or it's a movie star, you know, what are the service provision levels, what do they do and how do they do it better than we were doing in England, because you go back 10 years, you know, a football agent over, over here had a terrible reputation. Whereas now I think we've moved on where people are almost surprised the amount of service we provide, what we do on a day-to-day basis with these players, whether it's providing performance coaching, whether it's nutritional advice, whether it's, um, you know, uh, like I said before, commercial, social media, there's a whole load to it now. It's a full management service, but we've had to take those lessons on how American agencies have done that and apply them here. And I think we're seeing the benefits of that now where I generally believe the clients get a really top class service. Whereas maybe before they had a football agent that did a contract and no one really cared about their commercial profile or or their media management. Whereas what we try to do with, with every single young player is make them the best they can be on the pitch, but make them a good human off the pitch as well.
0: And that's really important. And those are lessons we've taken um, and implemented over here. Do you think the UK and Europe as a whole is moving in that direction towards a more US model, or is it still a long way off? No,
1: I think it is. I think
0: recently in our
1: in our marketplace, you've seen two big agencies here uh, be the subjects of, of acquisitions from Hollywood agencies, and we we sort of sit on the side of we're quite proud to be independent, but it doesn't mean that we don't look and see what's happening and move quicker and faster to make sure that we can offer, you know, the best possible service and that, that's what we tend to do. But I think it is Premier League football is growing globally uh, and the American market, I think we're only really scratching the surface of the popularity of the sport.
0: If you could copy one thing, if you could change one thing about the UK market by copying it from the US or elsewhere, what would it be?
1: I don't know. It's a tough question. It's a tough question. Because a lot of it's perception. And I think I can't with a magic wand change fans' views on how a football agent is, right? We're always going to be that bad guy that moved your favourite player from, from one club to another. We're always going to be that guy and we have to wear that on the chin. But I think what we can do is demonstrate the days of it just being a little bit uncouth, a little bit under the radar. The more we are open with the services we provide, how we go about things, and the more the players see the benefit of wider services, uh, more professional services, it is going to be positive for, for our industry moving forward. Terrific. Marlon, thank you very
0: much for your time. Absolutely, no pleasure, Alex. Thank you so much. If people would like to hear more from you or indeed from Unique, where's the best place they can do that? Uh, I think on our
1: Instagram, uniquesg.uk on Instagram.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Marlon. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Please make sure you're following this podcast in your preferred podcast platform. And if you liked this, check out the show archives for more of the same. All the best. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.